You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Sobe here. Excited to be joined by a DC fellow from the 2009 class. Someone even a year older than me. I like it. Mike Simmons is here. Excited to have him on. So let's get to it. All right, Mike. So yeah, what are the 2009 early days of NLC like? How did you find out about the program and what was going on 10 years ago almost? Well, it was an exciting time. Barack Obama had just been elected president. Um, A lot of us young progressives in Washington had worked on his campaign in some capacity. So there's a lot of good energy, a lot of uh, big picture thinking about how we could take the country forward. And so um, when we found out about New Leaders Council, um, and I found out about it through um, a friend of mine who I'd known from people from the America People for the American Way and some of their youth youth leadership programs, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we were we were game to go. And then when you made it to Chicago, uh, you actually were involved in the Chicago's inaugural class in 2010. Tell me a little bit about what it's like to start a chapter from scratch like that. Yeah, well, it, you know, it was probably, um, you know, a lot like a startup. I mean, it, it just uh, I remember literally sitting on my mom's couch because it was the first three months moving back to Chicago. I hadn't even had time to find an apartment yet. I had taken a job for a, a local progressive that I helped, uh, you know, help get her up and going. And I just remember being on my mom's couch all hours of the night into the morning, going through my network, trying to find young uh, community organizers um, and young, you know, change makers in Chicago that uh, were already doing the work, but, you know, could really probably benefit from some of the, the you know, progressive infrastructure that a New Leaders Council would offer. And so, um, you know, it was just, you know, really you know, working the phones and telling people about what we were doing and talking about my experience and trying to get them to apply. Um, and that was just, you know, I, I, you know, the other way to answer that is all of us that were on the that were in the leadership, everything was about finding people to apply because we had, you know, we didn't exist in Chicago before 2010. And then you've been in Chicago pretty much ever since then. And, and I, I like that you rep Chicago pretty hard. I was checking out your LinkedIn page before we hopped on and, and Chicago is definitely a prominent feature. What kind of things are you working on in the city these days? Yeah. So I started my uh, own company uh, about nine months ago, Blue Sky Strategies and Company. And what we focus on, uh, so we're consulting in four areas. The first is inclusive urban planning. Uh, The second is youth empowerment. The third is government transparency and accountability. And then the fourth is racial equity and public policy. And so this, if you think about it, really is is, um, a response to the moment that the political moment that we're in the country right now. Um, Chicago is rapidly gentrifying. Part of what I'm trying to do is someone that is a native of Chicago um, and, and appreciates the, you know, the, the diversity and scope of our neighborhoods is to work with clients such as uh, nonprofits, real estate guys, uh, community development agencies to do uh, redevelopment in ways that um, ensure the neighborhoods stay diverse and make sure that they stay affordable for people that um, want to be there. And so that that's a big crux of my work right now. And then youth empowerment is really working with a lot of activist organizations that, um, you know, are trying to, you know, push, push the political systems forward in terms of good public policy, um, you know, in terms of the reforms that we see happening on the ground. And then are folks finding you, you're finding them, how are you getting clients so far? So far, you know, it really has been me, uh, you know, it's probably been a mix. I mean, at first it was me kind of just, you know, calling, people that I either knew or knew indirectly who are already doing good work and, and talking about my resume and what I've done. So, you know, being involved with New Leaders Council, um, I worked for the city of Chicago for five and a half years. I was in the mayor's office and then I was a, the uh, deputy commissioner of the planning department. 
So I've got all of this kind of, you know, institutional knowledge around planning, around programs, around, you know, fiscal, fiscal management and all these other things. But I was also got the kind of progressive uh, credentials and have the, the native Chicagoan perspective and the perspective of someone that worked on Capitol Hill. I worked for Senator Durbin for three years before I did NLC. And so, you know, a lot of it has been kind of, you know, introducing the, the resume and experience and passion I have, but also just looking for where people um, have a need for the kind of the kind of you know expertise that I'm offering, and and particularly in those four areas that we you know we as a company are are, are focused on. And did anyone try to tuck you out of this idea when you were deciding to kind of go out on your own and do this venture? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so interesting footnote. Um, after I left City Hall, it was 2016. Um, things were really ugly in Chicago at the time. I mean, we had a lot of, uh, you know, activism happening, a lot of anger around, you know, police shooting of young black men. And so I left city hall and, and took a year off and I went and traveled through West Africa. I wanted, always wanted to go and kind of rediscover my roots as a black person there. And so I did that, um, spent some time in Europe. And when I got back, I had a couple people that witnessed me do all that who said, all right, you need a job. Like, we want to have you come interview for this position or that position. And that's great. I mean, that, that's a, that's a wonderful thing that happened, but I got to tell you when I did it, I, um, you know, people were saying, Hey, you know, it's really hard to do this. It's brutal. Um, you know, startups are, are, you know, legendary for failing and, you know, we don't want to see you fail. And, um, you know, I interviewed for two jobs and they would have been two pretty prominent positions. And I just couldn't stand the idea of sitting in a desk, um, you know, wearing a suit and tie, the protocol, all of that kind of stuff. And most importantly, not being able to, to speak and use my voice and, and use my agency in the way that I think a lot of young millennials are, are want to do right now. Uh, and so that, you know, is a big reason why I did this. That's interesting because I definitely wanted to ask you about the sabbatical. So when you're deciding to do that, do you have specific goals in mind other than what you mentioned in terms of re- reconnecting with some of your personal background, but are there other uh, goals that you're trying to accomplish so that, you know, by the end of X amount of months, I will have seen these countries or talked to these people or, or found these things out about myself. What kind of ways did you frame it for, uh, how you would use the sabbatical to move forward once you came back? Yeah. You know, I, um, I can't say that I really had a robust program. You know, I, I had toyed around with the idea of volunteering and doing some couch surfing and, you know, the more I looked into that, the more I felt like it would just be too structured and too contrived. And I really wanted to go deep into the interior of, of particularly West Africa. I'm, I'm half Black American, half Ethiopian. And, you know, Black Americans, one of the things about us is we've been completely cut off from our, our ancestry. We don't have family trees that go back before 1865 with the emancipation of slavery. And so I wanted to go to these West African countries that had slave forts and have the connection of the slave trade and just kind of you know, peripatetically walk through those countries and interact with locals and kind of really push myself to be uncomfortable and kind of discover what was there and kind of discover what was what was inside of me. And so um, I ended up being seven countries that I went to uh, over a course of about four months. And, um, you know, when I left, I think I had a vague idea. I told my mom and my friends I'd be gone for six weeks. And I told them I'd be going to exactly two countries. And the two countries, Ghana and Senegal, are known as kind of Africa for beginners. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up going into places like Burkina Faso and Mali, which, you know, are not countries that have any tourists. Um, and in fact, you know, a little unsafe. And so, um, you know, I think I came back a different, a different man, a lot, a lot more courageous, a lot more in touch with my values. And, um, I think more equipped to kind of grapple with the complexities of America and the, you know, just the shit that we as progressives have to, have to deal with in order to affect change, having gone through that journey. 
Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And when we come back, we'll hear a little bit more about some of Mike's journey and also a little bit more about Chicago. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. So, Mike, we've had a couple of people from the Chicago chapter on, and I always ask, what do you feel like people misunderstand the most about Chicago right now? You know, I think that people, when they think of Chicago, they think of, um, you know, they think of blatant corruption. They think of violence. Um, those are probably the two the two things that people think about the most. Um, you know, I um one of the things about my sabbatical is the first three, so I was, I was traveling for about nine months, but the first three months I was in Chicago and I just one day very spontaneously just started walking through, um, different neighborhoods, you know, but anywhere between five and, and 20 miles at a time. Um, one time I went literally around the clock, 24 hours. And I would go through some of the, some of the most stereotypically dangerous parts of Chicago. Um, and I would stop and I would record my, my observations on what I was seeing. And it really is heartbreaking for me because I think that we have this rep- reputation as being such a dangerous city and such a violent city. And we do have a, a number of guns here. We need, we need to push on our elected officials to do everything they can to get those guns off the streets. Um, but, and can you, can you still hear me? Yep. Yep. You're good. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that's the first thing is, is just the violence and the crime. And then the other thing is, it's just corruption. What I want, so I've already addressed the, the kind of crime perception. What I want to say about the corruption is one thing traveling through all those different countries ended up being 25 countries I traveled through over those nine months, by the way, is that corruption is everywhere. I, I don't, I don't say that to justify, you know, some of the unethical things that you see in Chicago, but I don't think the Chicago is any more of a, of a blight on the map than anywhere else where you have human beings and limited resources um, and poor leadership and any of these other things. I just think we, we have the opportunity here because we're open democracy to put uh, ethical progressives in elected positions, right? In a lot of other countries, you don't have contestation. You don't have the ability to criticize the government. You don't have, um, you don't have pluralism the way we have here. And I think that's, that's one of the things I'm so happy and proud about in terms of Chicago and, and, the, and the broader American experiment is that you know, young millennials can run for office. We can criticize the, the people that are in power in ways that others and some of the countries I've visited simply couldn't dream of. And then do you see someone who is a young millennial having a chance to be mayor in this next election? Like, what do you see transpiring now that there's more of an opening for someone to come in that's new and has some fresh ideas? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's possible. I mean, you know, we saw Ken Fox elected state's attorney in 2016. Um, Kim Fox is, is probably not quite a millennial. I think she's probably a few years older, but, you know, I, I saw her on a panel the other night in Chicago uh, with a number of activists that were millennials. And I think the agenda is and the, you know, the conscious, the political consciousness is, is one that she has and she was able to run on. You know, she basically ran on a platform that, you know, the criminal justice system here in Chicago and Cook County and the, and the way that we go about policing is, is broken and, and needs and needs reform. Um, and she spoke very, you know, speaks very openly about how um, a lot of this, a lot of the impact falls on black families, on black men, on black youth. And so that very much, I think, is a part of the, um, you know, progressive millennial uh, mindset. And if she can do it, I think, I think in this upcoming election, I think anybody who's talking about those issues can, can be viable. I mean, obviously, you got to raise the money um, to be to be viable in, in these big city elections, but anything's possible. And then, you know, last thing, give me... Um... Yeah, maybe put it this way, as a lot of people know who listen to this podcast, the NLC application is due October 1st. What kind of 
considerations would you advise people to make as they're deciding whether to turn in an application to be part of the fellowship for next year? Uh, you know, I would just say to, um, you know, just spend, spend about, you know, 10, 15 minutes just kind of meditating on, you know, what makes you unique in the progressive movement. Um, I think that allows people to really kind of own their, their experiences. And I think as millennials, it's important for us to do that, particularly those of us that do, um, you know, come from families where we didn't have privilege or uh, we come from families where there's, you know, we maybe have an uncle or an aunt that um, is in prison, you know, or a sibling that, you know, is, 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 you know, has abused drugs or, you know, any of these other things that we as progressives uh, recognize as part of the realities of American families and not just, you know, the, the traditional things that, you know, conservatives typically put out there. So I, I think it, it, you know, it's being in touch with your own, your own story um, and making sure that you talk about that in your interview process. Cause there are a lot of, there are a lot of progressives that are, you know, progressives in, in terms of how they identify, but, I tend to be much more inspired by those that if you look at their journey and their, where they come from, their politics is not just theory. I mean, it, it's something that you see reflected in their agency and the, the things that they've, um, that they fought for. Yeah, that's great advice. And anyone who's uh, considering the app, remember October 1st, noon Pacific time is the deadline. Get those in. If you have trouble over the weekend, you can email Anyone on the NLCLA governing board, just hit up our website. You can see all that information. And if you want to hear more about what our alums have done after the program, check out all past episodes of The Zag. You can find them on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, you name it, we're there. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be back soon. Until then, take care.